We also celebrate his resurrection teaching that has power to transform not just our lives or our family's lives, but can transform the world. And so we began that journey some last week with the introduction to our Sermon on the Mount. And we want to continue to look at the Beatitudes this week. Last week, we looked at how the Beatitudes can transform us from the inside out to be a different-hearted person, a a humbler person, a a person who can uh, acknowledge their brokenness so God can comfort us, a person who can be meek and lowly, not grasping but giving, a person who can hunger and thirst for the right thing and to be the right kind of person, trusting that God can bring that kind of transformation into our lives that sets us free. This week, uh, we want to look at how the Beatitudes don't just transform us, but how the Beatitudes are shaped really to transform our whole community and society for God's glory. And so we look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, and this is how the story goes. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help me lift you up. Guide us in your spirit to fulfill that purpose that you've created us to be. Lord, connect our lives to your Holy Spirit in ways that will help us really radically live as a beatitude people that can bring light to our world. So Lord, speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said last week we looked at how God transforms us individually from the inside out in ways that can help us be a a more whole and healthy kind of human being. This week we want to look at how God can use us really to bring transformation not just to families but to communities, to our nation, to our world. I mean, how many of you today, you know, it's easy to look on the news and to see all the discouraging things and the fearful things and the, the shootings and this, that, and the other. And how many of you, you know, in your heart, God, 
We don't want to stay on this path. We want transformation. We want a healthier nation. We want healthy communities. We want a healthy society. And part of us hungers and longs for that, but we're not quite sure how to make it a reality and how to make it come to pass. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus knew how. And he said it was to live a happy life, a blessed life. Live like this. We'll talk about this more next week. Live like this, and you will be the light of the world. And so how can living the Beatitudes not just shape us, but shape our community and world? Well, if we pick up in the seventh verse, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In this Beatitude, we are reminded how powerful an opportunity we have to not pay back double for what has been done to us. Um, Andrea and her dad would often get into little punching matches, like, you know, hit their shoulder, right? And this will be a good paw memory for you since we're celebrating his life. You know, he'd kind of go like this and say, I'm going to pay you back double, right? Paybacks are double. And so much of life, we, we think that that's how it ought to run. But the way of Jesus is radically different from that. It's not blessed or paying back double for people that hurt you or wound you or whatever. It's blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Here, one of the key things Jesus is saying is, listen, you have a say in how you are judged on judgment day. You have a contribution to how you will be judged on judgment day. And to the degree you have shown mercy to those around you will be the degree to which God will be merciful to you when it comes time for you to stand before God and say, this is how I live my life. And I don't know about you, that makes me say, wow. I hope I can be that kind of person of mercy. And just to make sure Jesus gives us an example of this, he wants to make sure we have a story to understand exactly what he means. And so in chapter 18 of Matthew's gospel, he tells this story. He says, listen, there was this fella, kind of like Chris, who owed his Lord just millions and millions of dollars. He was in debt in over his head he was so in debt there was no way he was going to be able to pay back his lord but the time had come his lord wanted to settle accounts and so he has come before his lord and he has no money he has nothing to give and he says you know lord have mercy on me i can't pay you back all these millions and millions of dollars you gotta give me more time i need more time and the Lord of the servant in his mercy said, Okay, no, I won't give you more time. You don't, have, you don't even have to pay me back. You know, um, I can tell you've tried. I can tell you're trying to take care of your wife and your kids. So I tell you what, we'll just consider it canceled. You are completely and totally forgiven of your debts. You're set free. So go, be free, live free. Don't worry about what you owe me. It is wiped clean. 
Now, with that part of the story, we ought to be amazed, right? Wow, that God could forgive so deeply and to set us free in such a way like that. How thankful we ought to be. Well, then as the fellow is walking home, what do you know? But he meets a friend. And this friend, he loaned a hundred bucks. And he's still kind of antsy. He's still thinking, I gotta pay, I gotta pay the big guy back. You know, even though he doesn't have to. And so he begins to get on this guy that owes him a hundred bucks. Hey, where's my hundred bucks? I need it. Can you pay me back? The guy says, sorry, I don't have it right now. Give me a little more time. I'll pay you back in a week or two. It'll be fine. He says, no, you don't have a week or two. You got to pay me back now or else I'm pressing charges against you. Well, I can't pay you back. And so he throws the, this neighbor in jail who owes him a hundred bucks and thinks, I'm going to get my hundred bucks back. Well, guess who hears the whole story? but the master and the master brings him in again at the end of chapter 18 this is how jesus tells the story the master called in the servant you wicked servant he said i canceled all that debt of yours just because you begged me to shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as i had on you and in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like. When we hold a grudge against another human being, when we orient our heart toward anger or hatred or belittling, whatever it is, toward another human being, and we fail to show them mercy, what Jesus is saying is that goes into our account. And uh, Jesus and the Lord God file it away and it's going to be coming out on judgment day you haven't been merciful here 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 and here and here why should i show you if you weren't able to show mercy to them why should i show mercy to you and so it's a powerful principle we are to be a people of mercy jesus made it his life's ministry right to uh, to hang out with sinners to hang out with the tax collectors who were reviled for taking money out of Jerusalem and sending it to Rome. Jesus made a life of you know, touching and healing and caring for lepers, the untouchable. Jesus made a lifestyle of taking prostitutes and, and giving them second and third and fourth chances to, to find a new path and a new, more healthy way of life. Jesus made it his life's work to give you and I chance after chance after chance. And all he asks of us is just pass it on to somebody else. Pass it on to the guy who owes you a hundred bucks. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, I, I know sometimes in my preaching, you know, maybe I sound a little 
woke or social justice oriented. Well, if I do, this is why, right? Because this is what we're being graded on. This is what Chris is being graded on for teaching you and preaching you. Is to be merciful. Because I want to be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We're going to come back to that. That's at the heart of these verses. So instead, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You know, our world continues to need peacemakers. We give, I give thanks and praise for God providing us the peacemakers we've needed in our past and the peacemakers we will need in our future. It's not easy to be a peacemaker. Peacemakers are the guys, the men and women who prophetically stand up in the community or stand up in the nation and begin showing us both who we are but secondly, what we could become if we can let the, the brokenness and the shame and the frustrations of the past go. You see, great peacemakers give us a vision, a better vision, a more glorious vision of what we are to look like as a community or as a nation or as a world. And they try to show that to us. They try to share it with us. And sometimes we don't really like it a whole lot because, you know, it's, it's not our vision. And because of that, often the peacemakers are the ones who don't last long in the earth because of their heart and their vision. I mean, just think of the major peacemakers of the 20th century. You know, I think of Martin Luther King Jr. I even think of John Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy. I think of Mahatma Gandhi, who wasn't even a Christian, but but went to the scriptures and found the Beatitudes and said, man, this guy knows how to change the world. I think I'll listen to him and put his principles to work and see if it can change India, who is broken by Islam and Hinduism, and bring us together. Mother Teresa, Abraham Lincoln, all these folks, their lives were peacemakers, and it understand they were peacemakers because they didn't tend to focus on the fear mongering they didn't focus on the belittling they didn't focus on hating and anger and paying back double they didn't focus on any of that stuff they were peacemakers because they gave us a better vision of what the world could be you know when martin luther king stood up in the washington dc that week i know Andrew Jackson used to always say, I told him to preach something different. But Martin Luther King saw better than I did because he'd used this sermon way too much and he'd preached it way too often. But Martin Luther King read the prophetic moment way better than I did. And so he preached the mountaintop message, right? And in that mountaintop message, part of it, I've had, I had as a teenager, I had a dream it's almost like Martin Luther King showed up and he like preached that in a, I don't, in a dream. I guess that maybe that's supposed to be part of my ministry. But, you know, where he begins to give us a bigger vision. Where we will be judged not by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. Where we can see each other as children of God. These are the peacemakers. And they don't do it through fear. They don't do it through anger. They don't do it through division. They do it through casting 
a better vision of what our nation can look like or what our world can look like. And oftentimes, it can cost them their lives. And so those are the, that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of person that is, as followers of Jesus, we're trying to be in that same vein. Because uh, when we are, we show ourselves to be true children of God. People see God in us, in that peacemaking. And then the third, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here in this verse, uh, Jesus gives us the promise of a heavenly reward. And the promise in that heavenly reward is through uh, having a prophetic heart, a prophetic voice, a prophetic ministry. Um, we are called to live our lives similar to the prophets of old. It's not an easy job. It's a job that costs the prophets their lives. And that's Jesus' whole point. Throughout much of Christian history, the norm for Christians has been persecution. That's been the norm, and it continues to be the norm in the 21st century. In North Africa, it's hard to be a Christian. In the Middle East, it's difficult to be a follower of Jesus. In China, you have to hide your cell church in some farm over here and then move it to a new farm over there because you don't want the leaders coming in and taking away your preacher and throwing them in jail. In Southeast Asia, even in the past in Eastern Europe sometimes, and in Russia and Ukraine, um, things like this would occur. And I was looking again at a book called The Insanity of God, where a fella interviews those who've been persecuted in the 20th century and, and kind of asks them about this. And so one of the things he asked them is, you know, what should we as a church do for them? Since we live in such freedom. We live in, you know, we can be here and, and we don't have to worry about the police coming and taking us to jail. I don't have to worry about sitting in prison. I've never sat in jail yet. You know, that doesn't happen to a whole lot of us. So we live in such freedom here. So what can we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who may be in jail today or may be persecuted? And they said, do not pray that the persecution would stop. God has given us the persecution to shape us and grow us as disciples. Instead, pray that we would be obedient in the midst of the persecution to do what God wants us to do, to be who God wants us to be, and to keep sharing Jesus no matter what the cost. One of the stories with this was a guy who used to be a Muslim. And uh, Jesus gave him visions that eventually led him to Christ. And so he began sharing Jesus and following Jesus. And he'd been doing this by himself for years. He had a wife and two boys, but he kind of left them out of it because he knew following Jesus was dangerous and he only wanted it to cost him. And so one time the, the author of the book had, was there with him interviewing him and asked him a question, but how is your wife and children, how are they involved in your ministry for Jesus? And he began to get upset. 
I've, I can't let them be involved in my ministry for Jesus. I can't lose my wife. I can't lose my children. That would be too hard. God can't require it of me. And he was getting emotional and really upset and all these things. And, and so then the author asked him this question. He said, but, but let me ask you, has Jesus been worth it for you? Has Jesus really been worth it that you would give your life for him? And as the man thought about it, he said, yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's why I do this. Because Jesus is worth it. And if Jesus is worth it for me, then you're right. Jesus can be worth it for my wife. And Jesus can be worth it for my two boys. If I have to die for Jesus, it'll be worth it. If my wife has to die for Jesus, it'll be worth it. If my children die for Jesus, it would be worth it. None of us here ever has to ask those kind of questions. But Jesus shares with us that when we can be prophetic and faithful in these ways, that God can change the world. What Jesus is sharing is a, a heart attitude of transformation, a countercultural kind of Christian faith by those who say, I just don't want to go to church. I want to be church. I want to be the presence of Jesus in the world. And this is our challenge, is to live out this kind of faith. And it's not always easy. It's always, well, there can be ways to push back. I, I want to share one or two of those ways. The first comes from Fred Craddock. Fred was a great preacher and teacher at, uh, in Emory at Candler, a great storyteller. And Fred tells this story about a time when he was praying during the first Gulf War um, in the early 2000s. He said, after the declaration of war by President Bush in what we called the Gulf War, uh, some of us Christians in Atlanta had gathered for prayer. We had songs, we had scripture, we had prayer, and then songs and scripture and prayer for a long time. There was seated next to me a young man, I think about 17 or 18. He might have been a freshman at the university. I don't know. In the course of the sentence prayers, he asked, that God would be with the women and children in Iraq who would be hurt and killed in the war. So when our time of prayer was over, there was a man in his mid-50s, and he came over to that young man and said, Are you on Saddam's side? And he said, Uh, no, sir. Well, you're praying for the wrong people. You're praying for the wrong people. You know, my question for us is, of this 50-year-old and this young man, who had the beatitude heart and life in that prayer service? The one who showed mercy or the one who didn't? It's easy to get this wrong, and we, uh, Jesus wants us to get it right. Um. And I think even today, uh, when I think about our political landscape in the last several years, I know it's kind of been a popular thing to uh, find leadership that uh, doesn't want to be politically correct, for instance. And that's okay. 
You know, I mean, it's natural to want to push back on culture and its successes and all those things some. Uh, But I just know for me, when I look for leadership in our community or leadership in our nation, I kind of want someone that has some of the beatitude in terms of how they do leadership. Um, That's at least where I... I hunger and thirst. I want to see a leader who can be merciful. I, I want to see a leader who has a pure heart. I want to see a leader who wants to be a peacemaker, who, who for our nation doesn't just care about a part of our nation, but really cares about our whole nation. And how do we bring diverse political ideas and diverse cultures? How do we, how do we bring us all together? as much as possible though we won't agree on everything can we at least continue to love and respect each other i want to find leadership that that's willing to do the right thing no matter what even if they're persecuted for it those kind of things to me that's important as i wrestle with a leadership in our day and in our age is what kind of leaders Will they be? What kind of leader will I be? And so in the midst of that, um, this last piece is kind of the most central piece at all. And it's at the heart of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We all know that uh, we can't be the pure in heart on our own. We need help. God's got to do it in me and through me. And the only way God can do it in me and through me is if I let God live in me, if I see him face to face. It, it mirrors together. And uh, again, uh, to share an example of this, there's no greater example perhaps than Moses. You know Moses. Uh, from Dennis Kinlaw's devotional book that I'm reading through this year, This is one of the lessons that they talk about. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He says, Moses was perhaps the greatest man who ever lived besides the Lord Jesus. He walked and talked with God in intimate ways. He knew God as a man knows his friend. All throughout the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings, God spoke directly to Moses, and Moses spent time in God's personal presence. It was to Moses that God revealed his holy name. It was to Moses that God gave his law. Through Moses, God led the people of Israel and provided for them. The relationship between Moses and God was one of intimacy. And I I can't say this word very well. Reprocity. I think that's close enough. You know, back and forth. You get it, right? Then he tells the story. There was one time when the Israelites were in the wilderness and uh, God had said, I'm, you know, you guys have blown it. You're stiff-necked, you're stubborn, you're hard-hearted. I'm not going with you anymore. Then Moses interceded and said this. Moses said, uh, If your presence does not go with us, God, do not bring us up from here. And so God changed his mind. God agreed, my presence will go with you. And in the Hebrew, that actual sentence is, my face will go with you. 
as you journey into a new place, does the face of God indeed go with you? Or are you traveling without the face of God? A face is an incredible thing. It can speak louder than a voice, more tenderly than a touch. God desires a face-to-face relationship with his people so we can see his face, what he wills for us, what pleases him, and so that we can see what brings him sorrow. In Jesus Christ, we can see the face of God revealed by the Holy Spirit. We are to live every day. We are to live every day in such a way that we can sense his face and know his presence. Do not begin this day alone when you could be face to face with God himself. Dennis reminds us that's who we are to be, a people who hunger and long, and every morning when you wake up, you invite the face of God to be with you and before you to guide you and to lead you, to change you inside out, to let go of the anger, the bitterness, the hatred, and say, Lord, teach me how to be merciful. I'm not, I'm pretty darn lousy at it, but I want to do better. Teach me and shape my heart so I can see you. Help me be a peacemaker that can recognize your presence in Jesus, your face, in any human being I meet. Help me be one who is willing to do the right thing, even if I'm insulted and persecuted by others, knowing that you have a great reward. And I can be glad because I will look more like your prophets. Brothers and sisters, this is who God has called us to be. This is the kind of church of Jesus that continues to transform the world. And uh, may we be more like this. May I be more like this. Uh, Because if we will do this, we will be the light of the world. And we'll talk about that more next time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um,